millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just imagine that, like, you know, people talk about the moment before, you know. Imagine that I live in this world where, like, there's all these little creatures. And I've just walked into a room of them. You listening? Yeah. And uh, they like remind me of something. You remind me of a film. What film? A film with some puppets. Is it Gremlins? No, it's not Gremlins. Dark Crystal? That's closer. Labyrinth? That's the film I'm thinking of. I saw Jim Henson. Trying hard as Jim could try to make a film. The critics thought it stunk. They put Jim in a funk down in the dumps. But then it came on video. Millennials watched David Bowie's crotch. And now we all love it. And Henson said, Gee, thanks for waiting till I'm dead. Today we talk, talk, labyrinth talk. Jennifer Conley is the best. Today we talk, talk, labyrinth talk. Cried two times, I must confess. Labyrinth, labyrinth, labyrinth. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. Oh, and I'm Hoggle. And each week, me and Hoggle take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf 
or be tipped straight into the bog of eternal stench, which is what I call our Patreon page. Uh, so, Justin, you're in an interesting uh, position today. Uh, do you want to describe to the I'm listeners? Not Justin, I'm Justin. I'm <laughs> Oh, okay. So that's just the way it's going to be the whole episode. <laughs> I'm high on painkillers. <laughs> Yeah, talk to us. Uh, we we don't even exactly know what what's going on here. You're currently lying on the floor, mm-hmm. and you're we have our whole sound situation pointed down for you. So mm-hmm. so tell tell everybody what what's going on here. Well, for those who don't know about my personal medical conditions, I have a herniated disc L four L five. I've blown out my back maybe three times in my life, each more harrowing than the last. <laughs> um, and and when I say blow out my back, I mean I'm on the floor for a week and I'm in um I'm in the deepest, darkest pits of hell. <laughs> wow. So good news. Good news, everyone. So, you know, I'm taking care of myself. I'm 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 doing PT intermittently. And uh I've gotten a couple MRIs and and found out that well, first of all, I would just want to clarify the first time I got an MRI, the doctor looked at my scan, did a double take. Literally looked at the scan, then looked at me and said, you have the spine of a 70-year-old man. (laughs) Like he wasn't even sure if he was looking at the right Uh scans. He just wanted to make sure that the nurse brought him the right scans because there was no way that that spine fits in this body. So So then I did PT and... I, um, I stopped, blew out my back again, and it was so harrowing that I was like, okay, I, I have to change my life. Otherwise, I can't survive right. this. I, I can't, I can't deal with this. Because when you blow out your back, you're on the floor for the week, not only is it harrowing pain, but you get depressed, you can't do anything. Usually the universe like puts you on the floor right at the height of your like happiness. Like you, mm. you finally start working out again. You're running. You're feeling good. Your mental health is like better than it's ever been. And right. you, you say things to yourself like, oh, my God, like I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm happy. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then you're on the floor for a week and you're like, oh, OK, nothing ma- matters mm. at all. Yeah. So, and was this from an injury or was this just time and, you know, nobody knows. I mean, I I played tennis for 4 years in high school competitively that uh, could have had something to do with it. I think genetics has something to do with it as well and then also uh I lifted a lot of weights like a dumbass in high school, like I was I was really small mm. and insecure and I thought if I lift weights um, I'll be cool. I'll be cool. I gotta get big. I have to get big. And so, you know, nobody, you have access to a gym in high school, but nobody's teaching you how to lift weights. So I'm like struggling to lift weights and doing bicep curls, but using my low back to help get mm. the weights up so that I could <laughs> impress people. Um, and then I was also in all the AP classes. So AP history, AP lit, AP Spanish. Each one of those books is like a fucking <laughs> Bible, a Bible in my backpack. Once again, it's the educational system that is fucking people yeah, over here. Exactly. Um, I'm literally crying right now. So <laughs> I, I shit you not, the ba- the JanSport backpack I had was fully you, you bul- books bulging out of the JanSport 
resting on my low back for years. It it yeah. got so bad. I mean, my, I had back pain in high school. So my parents suggested to me, why don't you use a roller backpack? <laughs> Oh, and I no. said, I had enough sense. This is the kiss of death. I had enough sense to say, no way, you're crazy. But it was so bad that finally I allowed them to convince me to do this. And so I'm I crying. rocked a roller backpack. It, it looked oh. like a luggage, like it had a mm -hmm. telescope. Like you're on the way to the airport. Yeah, and not cool luggage, not an away bag. This is like a, te a telescoping oh handle, God. a backpack with <sighs> wheels, and I would when it, I would go upstairs, I wouldn't lift it. I would just like bang, <laughs> bang, <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Oh Kids would kick the oh, shit man. out of it. They would just see it and they I would can only kick imagine. it. Oh my God. I can and, only imagine. But I, I was, <sighs> the kind of dork that I was, was a self-aware dork. <sighs> And um, it doesn't make it any better. <laughs> you still get bullied, but I was I was able to put myself out of body when I would do these things. <laughs> so it wasn't happening to me. The mm. bullying and the kicking and the embarrassment was happening to my my alter ego, Justin, the the dork. The dork, right? So, and I I knew like I knew it was dorky, and I I felt like. I have confidence that all of these other kids don't have. No jock would ever do this, you know? So anyways, my PT, my long story short, my PT worked. I got a third MRI and the herniation shrunk. So it was working. And then, of course, I stopped and I was doing a house project and I was standing on a stool and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> lifting uh like trying to remove some some wood from a wall and it just came loose a little too quickly and i fell backwards i also had a spinning saw blade <laughs> oh god in my hand so midair i'm been the end of you i'm falling backwards i have no clue where i am in space this the saw is spinning in my right hand i have a crowbar in my left hand this could go many different ways. And yeah. mid-air, mid-air, I turned the saw blade off, landed on both my feet, but it didn't matter. It was just like a and Damn. I felt something shift mm. and it hurt really bad. And then it just continued to get worse and worse. So yeah, this is what I call the pre-blowout. Pre In two days, my spine is going to explode unless I take drastic measures <laughs> now to prevent it from happening. Right. So it's been, actually it's not good for your back to not move at all. So you have to keep moving. I go on walks, I stretch, I take Epsom salt baths, uh, I load myself up with pills and uh, creams, Tiger, lots of Tiger Balm. Icy hot? Icy, uh, not Icy hot, just Tiger Balm, but. That's where I'm at is uh, I feel like I'm on the road to recovery, but mm. famous last words. Sure. <laughs> You'll relapse soon I'll enough. relapse soon, yeah. Well, we, we feel for you here, and I'm sure the listeners do too. Uh, everybody send Justin's back good vibes. Ask you that it heals quickly. Uh, before we get into it, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce Corey Clifford. She's with us. You can hear her. Uh, sorry, I could not keep it. I was literally... <laughs> pouring tears <laughs> down my face during that story. Um, and before oh. we get into the movie too, there is some um, some physical media news that I wanted to just bring up quickly. Uh, there is a really fantastic Criterion Blu-ray and 4K drop that just happened. Um, 
don't know if you saw this, but After Hours, Martin Scorsese's mm. 1985 uh, New York Kafkaesque nightmare is coming to Blu-ray and 4K on Criterion Finally. Collection. And a movie that we mentioned on the Sling Blade episode, One False Move. Really? Uh, the Billy oh. Bob Thornton written and, and starring. That's shocking. Um, I feel like in that episode you said, like, will that ever go criteria? Maybe, or yeah. yeah. Bill Paxson is is another one of the leads of it. Carl Franklin directed. Yeah, both of those coming in July. So I thought that was just exciting enough to uh, bring up on the pod. For anybody out there who's um, looking forward to those, they'll be here soon. So, uh, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're talking about 1986's Labyrinth, directed by Jim Henson. TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets and Dark Crystal. Oh, here you go with a head like that! George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. The most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. <laughs> Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. The world of Labyrinth. So, Justin, how did you watch this film? I have a DVD copy that says Anniversary Edition. I'm mm. trying to find... Mine is also an Anniversary Edition, but mine's 30th. What that means. 2007, the film came out in 86. Six. So, so that would be 20. Uh, 30, right? No. 86, 96, 2006, about 20. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> So yours is the 20th anniversary. Mine came out 10 years later on the 30th. Mine's the 30th anniversary. Uh, two two discs, lame cover. Yeah, that's kind of a shitty cover. And uh, some some decent special features. We have a uh, new high definition film transfer, transfer which I, I actually felt, uh, you know, sometimes I talk DVDs are uh, surprisingly good quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was surprisingly bad quality. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's kind of in that. I feel like the good quality DVDs didn't start hitting until like the late 2000, like around 2010, stuff mm -hmm. like that. I mm -hmm. feel like those early days ones are hit or miss. Uh, disc one has the film and a commentary by Brian Froud, yep. uh, who is the conceptual designer for the film. Mm -hmm. Disc two has a pretty amazing maybe one of the best making of docs I've seen inside the labyrinth. Cool. Yeah, that one's on this one too. Um, and then a couple other bonus features like uh, Kingdom, of, Kingdom of Characters, the quest for Goblin City. Um, they are behind the scenes documentaries that include rediscovered footage from the Henson archives and newly recorded interviews with the people who brought Labyrinth to life. Cool. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention is that the subtitles on this caught my eye. English, French and Japanese. You don't typically see Japanese subtitles, but my theory is that Jennifer Conley is kind of big in Japan. Oh, okay. And so maybe I guess that makes sense. Maybe they um they threw that in yeah to all her fans in Japan. I can also just see this movie in general being big in Japan. Yes. Yeah, I have the uh, 30th anniversary 
Blu-ray Digibook, which is honestly fantastic. The transfer of the film looked amazing. You know, other too than good. It, was it too? Oh good? no, not too good. Perfect. Did you know the owl in the beginning was ILM? Yeah. And was one of the first CG animals. Yeah. What does ILM mean? Industrial Light and Magic. They did. They kind of started with George Lucas and the Star Wars films oh. for those, and they they're still around. They still do a ton of special effects for a ton of big movies. Yeah, and the owl looks janky, bad, but but <laughs> like doesn't bother me because I'm kind of used to that. This has basically all of those special features. It has Inside the Labyrinth, which we watched. But the best thing about this is that it's it comes in this really great packaging. It has a beautiful cover. We've talked about different types of media packaging. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned steelbooks are not our favorite, but I think digibooks are maybe one of my top. Yeah, I love a digibook. It's like having a small magazine or something, like a collectible little book with your film. Yeah. What was your relationship to this movie going into this rewatch? Ooh, man, this movie is everything. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it, <laughs> it, it was everything to yeah. me. Everything. It's it's. Um, <laughs> I get it, man. It's hard to explain the impact this movie had on me because it's not. You know, we talk a lot about like horror and stuff like that on the pod. Mm-hmm. This feels, and I want to talk about this more with you later. But this feels like a cartoon to me, but in the best way okay. possible. Yeah. And I grew up watching dark cartoons. Mm-hmm. When I say dark cartoons, I mean like Don Bluth kind of stuff. All dogs go to heaven. It's fucking dark, dude. You're dealing with dead dogs. <laughs> yeah. Dead dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the secret of Nim. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with a dying child that has pneumonia and she has to go on a harrowing quest yeah. to find medicine to heal her it's child. It's dark stuff. It's dark stuff. Uh, brave little toaster, you know. Big time. Big time dark. There's always an element of. Fear. Fear, loss, death, innocence, Mm -hmm. you know. And Labyrinth has a lot of that. Totally, you yeah. Know? We grew up in the time when, like, I think the main influences on our childhood media was stuff like Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, stories, fairy tales mm-hmm. about maturity and, and about facing danger and death. And they were almost like cautionary tales yeah. for us as kids. And I do think that that's... Uh, I'm not super in tune with children's media these days, but it feels like they've moved away from creating cautionary tales and they're all sort of more like, um, I don't know, uplifting or or s- somehow kind of trying to sh- show you an example of the kind of adult you can be as opposed to showing you examples of like the sort of tricky, sticky situations you might get in as an adult. Right. Or yeah. as even as a child. I agree. And yeah, this movie is is um has got creepy stuff in it. There's it creepy vibes, there's creepy characters okay. which um we'll talk about but the movie was critiqued for even at the time. So you got to hog the mic last time about all your little childhood celebrity movie crushes <laughs> and I didn't say anything because uh-huh. I didn't really have many. I was more of a I crushed on my teachers, I crushed on classmates. Yeah. Crushed on real people. Yeah. Jennifer Conley. Mine is probably healthier. <laughs> but go on. Yeah. Magazines and fictional <laughs> mm-hmm. people. Yep. Um, my my first crush was Jennifer Conley. And also that that so for you, your trend of uh blonde, blue eye, mm-hmm. you know, Aryan princesses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mine was more 
dark and gothic yeah. brunettes. Mine was like Aryan milfs, and yours were <laughs> Pre- gothic, gothic preteen. Yeah. Okay, so I heard two things. One, if you calculate her age and the time that the movie was released, she's mm-hmm. sixteen. But in the interview with David Bowie, he says she's fourteen. Yeah, that's so what maybe I, she was fourteen. I think she was fourteen when they filmed it or yeah. when she was cast. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Hinton talked about, you know, like he was really looking for an actress who could play that middle ground between child and adult. You know, like uh, the whole movie is about a character facing responsibility that you have when you become an adult, no longer being a child anymore. And so he needed to find somebody who kind of looked like they could play that that tightrope of like she's a child but she's clearly yeah. going yeah. into adulthood the, and i think she's she's perfect her eyebrows are mm-hmm. incredible this movie was really big for me as a ch- as a child too i remember the first time i saw it my cousins came over and they brought the tape and um we all watched it and i had never heard of david bowie so for the longest time david bowie was just this character to me i wasn't even yeah. really aware that he was a, a musician and um Thankfully, I think they just left the tape because then we just had the movie. They brought it over and we just had it for the rest of my life and became obsessed with it. I remember bringing it to preschool and and like having them put it on for everybody to <laughs> which was kind of a thing. Back in the day, you would bring tapes over like my cousins just brought this tape over to our house and we watched it. I just brought the tape to preschool and we all watched it. <laughs> wow. That was what you did back then, you know? It was like if you liked something, you just kind of carried it with you. <laughs> and this movie was a big one and so yeah uh, I mean when this I mentioned in the song that I did cry twice in this movie I knew from the second the credits started that I was going to cry because there's such a nostalgic weight to this movie that I, I immediately so got touched uh, yeah, yeah I cried multiple times too because of I mean just the sweetness of these characters yeah they're beautiful. So what was your relationship, Corey? Did you... So I, oh, my, oh God. my God. Justin, we have headphones on. <laughs> I'm gonna for the, I'm gonna take care of that for you, the listeners, so it doesn't explode your headphones out of your ears like it just happened to us. But Justin just bombed the room. Can't, I can't hold it in. It'll hurt my back. Oh, did it hurt when you just sneezed? No, it felt great. Corey, wow. continue. Your relationship to, to the Labyrinth before this rewatch. So I don't think I had a relationship to this movie till high school which is interesting because it was so big in your childhoods. But I think because I didn't have, like didn't grow up in the house with like an older sibling, Mm -hmm. uh, these type of things, like, I, I I don't know. They just, I I missed them. I missed them. Um, I was much more. Well, because this didn't come out when we were When we were kids, yeah. And so you would have had to have rented it. And you weren't like a huge rental family, right? No, we were a really big rental family, but not of things like I think you didn't go to the old section. You went to the new. Stuff. Exactly. And I think I would have thought this was a kid movie and would have been like, yeah. no, not for me. I need to watch something with teenagers. I don't know. Right. Wrong, obviously. But in high school, my best friend, Marianne, and one of my best friends, Alex, were both obsessed with this movie. Both mm. of them, Marianne dressed up as David Bowie multiple times from Labyrinth for Halloween's. My friend, Alex was obsessed with this movie too. And that is when it really um, became big for me. So I have nostalgia to it too, but for high school um, nostalgia. A, a high school nostalgia yeah. and like a 
that we're like being fun, watching this silly like kids movie, but like loving it too. Yeah. And and it was much more um like now watching this movie, I'm so obsessed with the puppets. Then it was much more the obsession with David Bowie. Yeah. Like, you know, he's silly looking, but there is also like something alluring and sexy about David Bowie, no matter what. So Yeah. Definitely. As, as I referenced in the song, this movie was kind of trashed by critics. They um they really dumped on it. And man, I was shocked to read this the uh Gene Siskel review of this movie. He is brutal on it just completely that's so weird because it's obviously a he found nothing of value in it he thought it was so stupid and he does not mince words in his review he calls jennifer connelly bad (gasps) he calls the movie asinine he's really critical i mean gene sisko was very vocal anytime a child was used as bait for danger or fear in a movie he was so against that and that's what this whole premise is is that you gotta go save a child and and so he was like he just absolutely hated destroyed this movie but even roger ebert was sort of like thought it was lame that's surprising because i usually feel like ebert is the crueler of the two of them when gene hates a movie he goes hard he goes hard and it seems like the consensus from critics at the time was that this was a a huge disappointment from you know uh an exciting person like jim henson who had made a huge splash with the muppets and those was a was a big franchise what goes and there was wrong? like how could how could something how could people get movies so wrong at the time that they come out, <laughs> yeah. but then later, like, they it's can just be so, so embraced. Sad. It's so sad that something can not be successful when it comes out, but then be successful when it's, like, too late, when either somebody's dead or, you know, the film's already... You know, it's reading a handful of the reviews, all of them mentioned the thing that we just talked about, which is that it was too scary. And they were all shocked by that because this is, you know, not only did he do the Muppets, but Jim Henson created a lot of the characters for Sesame Street as well. And so I think they had such an association to him through this very fun-loving, positive puppet shows and movies. It was already Muppet movies at the time that they were, I just think, really caught off guard by how dark some of this stuff was. And um, they did not appreciate well, it. Guess what? Life is dark. Uh, yeah. And the darkest thing I heard was how Jim Henson died last night. Jack told it to me. Yeah. And it is so sad to me that he does not, did not get to see how successful this movie became. He didn't. And the fact that if he would have gotten to the two hospital hours. two hours before. Well, that honestly. It like, makes me sick to my stomach. This, that is That is something so relevant to today and so important to address and talk about is the the like i feel so bad for him obviously not blaming him but he suffers from the same mentality that we all suffer from which is like can't take time off from work yep. don't want to disrupt my he schedule had that don't want to go to the hospital mindset. so just quickly give a overview of well basically he was a workaholic which his children his co-workers everybody sort of said about jim henson they said he was the nicest guy he had the biggest heart he was extremely collaborative but he was a work all the behind the scenes with him. He was so collaborative. He seems so he seems nice. so sweet, but he just like you know gave yeah. everything to his work, and so he never stopped. And apparently, he thought he had like the flu. He got very sick pretty pretty quickly. But and people kept saying you should probably go to the hospital about this. And he kind of kept putting it off. He kept saying like, well, I got to go do this thing. I got to do this thing. So in a few days I'll go. And it eventually got to the point where he like couldn't breathe anymore. Yeah. And so they they rushed him to the hospital. Yeah. They realized that he had a bacterial infection from I think strep throat. 
and it was it was it had gotten bad so they gave him antibiotics and apparently the antibiotics worked almost immediately they killed all the bacteria but they had done so much damage to his body that within a day he died Heartbreaking. Um, and they yeah they said that had he gone in even a few hours earlier and they would have been able to give him those antibiotics it would have likely saved his life Ugh. his friend uh, frank oz who also collaborates with him a lot was yoda mm -hmm directed plant little shop of horrors he plays a few characters in this film yeah he said that he thinks uh disney killed him yo because of the deal they were mm -hmm. he was like stressing out about this big wow. disney deal that they were mm -hmm. sort of putting him through the ringer on in terms of just back yeah, and forth he said and, disney was so vicious yeah and jim was so stressed about it that um you know probably yeah. lowered his immune system mm -hmm. and, Jesus. and probably made him feel like he couldn't take the time off yeah, to, to deal with this. Uh, I mean, more. Pe I mean, he is not part of this category, but m most people probably have a variety of reasons why they don't want to go to the hospital when they don't feel well. But a big one is either not having insurance or not wanting to deal with the cost. You know, so our our healthcare system is part of the problem. But if you can go to the fucking hospital yeah. if you don't feel good and just get your checkups more, too, and, dude. I thought when COVID happened. I thought it would completely change our world for the better when it comes to being taking time off from work when you don't feel well. Mm -hmm. And as soon as people started getting vaccinated and as soon as, you know, we, we hit like 2022, I cannot tell you how many people I still saw coming into work or into public spaces or offices, coughing and not feeling well and li literally saying, oh, I feel weird taking off from work. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. What did we just go through? Mm -hmm. Like, to, if you, even if you have a little itsy bitsy little <laughs> cough, stay the fuck home. God. <laughs> Sorry. We ha we hate to be mean here, folks, yeah. but sometimes you just got to lay it on as it is. Okay, and Justin, back you to just Labyrinth. Preached it. Back to um, Because this movie is filled with practical effects that are so mind-blowing. Incredible. This movie holds up so fucking much. It's still just as awe-inspiring to watch today as it ever was. And I think that's a huge allure as a kid to see all yeah. these little mm -hmm. creatures. You mentioned how amazing that uh, documentary inside <sighs> the labyrinth was. Totally agree. I mean, we that were made both- me emotional. It honestly made me emotional. Mm -hmm. And I looked to Jack and I was like, why? Like, we don't have movies like this we anymore. We were captivated and just constantly saying, holy shit, as they pulled the cameras back and exposed how they were making these scenes, the magic tricks, the things that they do, the work and effort and handmade time I that they put into all this anyone stuff is to so go watch these. The, mind blowing. I, I get. I feel like on uh, an average film set mm -hmm. that you are, you and I are on, we're around a lot of like jaded people mm -hmm. who have like been here, done that, worked with a lot of frustrating probably filmmakers yeah. and uh well have, they've all been whipped to death by the the industry and through the, the ringer, producers right. and all, the, all understandable yeah. you know but you look at a set <sighs> where you have puppets and all of this magic mm -hmm. and the the same thing is consistent across all of these movies the people who are there are so fucking 
high energy and creative. It was and giving fun me chills. Optimistic. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Today in filmmaking, people do not care as much about making the best thing they can possibly yeah. make. It's all tainted by money, budget, time. Yeah. You watch something like this and you just see a hundred people every single one of them saying, how can I make this the best version of whatever my job is to do, whether that's painting something, whether that's molding something, whether that's a, a person coaching a group of background extras, how to like do the proper movements for a thing that they will only be in the corner of the frame for, yeah. but they're perfecting it. You there can was a tell. guy going around blowing glitter onto rocks. Yes. And yeah. I was thinking, I was like, if this was to be made today, all of this would be CGI. Oh, yeah. All of it would be. It would be the most uninteresting behind the scenes thing yeah. ever today. And, so and on top of that, all the voice acting would be done by Seth Rogen, Amy Schumer. Yes. And it yeah. would be so distracting. You don't know who any of these yeah, they're all just the characters. Yeah, Chris Pratt would be the the Jareth King. Yeah, well, it'd, be, it'd have to be a musician, probably like Post Malone. Oh my God, stop! <laughs> Not be Post Again, Malone. I just want to exit this world. I don't want a part of it anymore. I was thinking Jennifer Connelly too to be like a fourteen-year-old child, like on this movie. You wouldn't even have to act that much because the way the worlds that she was put in were actual yeah, labyrinth. There was there. these huge mazes. It they're would be so it all in front of you. beautiful. Uh, on the movie that we're, we're in development on, The Hug, we have a cast of animatronic robots that are literally in the world mm -hmm. animatronics. Right. And you have budgetary concerns that you have to kind of figure out mm -hmm. how do you achieve this? And you have a lot of forces that are trying to make you do the cheapest, easiest, simplest version possible. Yeah. No robotics, yeah. no hydraulics, no remote control. How can we do this without building all yeah. this stuff? How can you put can you put a person in a mask and then CG the rest? Yeah. Well, yeah, and what if we don't make the eyes move, but we'll just do it in post and then we'll make, how about we make the mouth move in post too? What this <sighs> documentary and this movie reminded me of, of how important it is to fight for that practical mm -hmm. element because there's no point in doing a movie like that if this the one of the stars of the film that is supposed to be an animatronic is anything but an animatronic mm -hmm. and so we have to find a way there's no point in to making honor it. the legacy of Jim Henson and Labyrinth and all the things that are so inspirational to us and still and make us come alive and make us emotional like you're part of probably why you're crying when you watch <laughs> it is because of the majesty yes. of everything that you're seeing and what kind of filmmakers would we be if we didn't attempt to just do one fraction of that a lot of times if i'm kind of in a funk or if i need a if i need a little filmmaking inspiration a go-to youtube video that i will always pull up and it will inspire me it'll get me so excited to make movies is the behind the scenes making of of Child's Play 2. Mm. And it's because it's all about how they created Chucky, how they built all these scenes, how they had him do all this elaborate stuff. It's so inspiring. This Inside the Labyrinth documentary is going to be my other tee up for that. It's, yeah. it's going to kind of even take the place. Honestly, of no joke. I feel like with like the hug or any type of movie that you're trying to make some type of creature like this, you should just send this behind <laughs> yeah. the scenes documentary of Labyrinth and yeah. be like, tell me that this is not what you yeah. want to make. Like, look how how incredible this looks I'll look how send, magical this is why my back hurts and, <laughs> oh my god you yeah. have to make it this yeah. is why my back hurts <laughs>
<laughs> this is why when I'm directing, I'm never going to move. Honestly, yeah. we have multiple videos of yeah. you falling, yes. hurting it. We literally made a short film called Blowout that yeah. was about you blowing out your back yeah. and was also a huge homage to Brian De Palma. Yeah, dude, in high school, I just remembered in high school with my friend, John Flanagan, we were filming some short films. I don't remember what the fucking concept of this short was. All I know is that it was snowing. I got onto the roof of my house and I fell backwards <laughs> onto my back into the snow. Well, I just think you for found, laughs. Yeah, like, I think you found your answer of what's going yeah, on with you. Today. Just for laughs. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to continue talking about the labyrinth. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, welcome back to Cinema Possess. We are talking about The Labyrinth. So this movie opens with the TriStar logo. I love the TriStar logo, and I couldn't think of a better movie to open. That's the Pegasus horse galloping through the ether and hopping over with that beautiful score. Y'all like that TriStar logo? <laughs> love it. <laughs> I don't I don't know it as well as you do. So. Very fitting. It was immortalized in Look Who's Talking Too, where they use that same music when Mikey's little sister takes her first baby steps and they all go, she's walking. So then we go right into opening credits. Like I said, I knew right away I was going to cry. The music hits, the owl hits, the Bowie hits. It's, it's the song Underground comes in. It's just good. And we come right in on Jennifer Connelly. You're sort of confused at first because she's, she's like saying, give me the child. The child through dangers untold and hardships unnumbered I have fought my way here to the castle beyond the goblin city and you're sort of like what and as it pulls out you sort of realize that she's just in a park and she's rehearsing these yeah. lines very Alice in Wonderland kind of opening yeah and she can't remember the last line of of the the monologue for my will is as strong as yours my kingdom is great. Damn. Oh, I can never remember that line. You have no power over me. 
Such a great line, such a great theme. It's a theme, yeah. So right away, he's telling you exactly Mm -hmm. what the theme of this movie is. Her understanding that she has the power. Nobody else has agency over her. It's all about choice. And she will come to make that decision. I mean, essentially, her way through this labyrinth is just like one question after another that she has to answer for herself. What way is she going to go? What choice is she going to choose? What is she going to be responsible for? What is she going to care about? Mm -hmm. In the beginning of this movie, she's a little bit of a brat. Careful. At the start of this movie. Major. Careful. She Careful. majorly is. She's, I think she's supposed to it's, be. It's understandable, though. I mean, it is. I literally wrote, this is relatable teen angst. Yeah, it's I relatable. had it. I was, I was we were a brat. All, we yeah. were all yeah. like this. Of course. Yeah, but I don't think the movie's trying to hide that she's kind of a, a childish teenager. Absolutely. Sure. She's mean to her parents no. and the baby. She's mostly very mean to the baby. She's very mean. She doesn't like, he represents the responsibility that she does not fucking want. She yeah. literally just wants to play with toys. I did so many mean things to my little brother. It makes yeah. me so sad. What's the meanest thing you ever did to Dylan? Well, there's one thing that haunts me that Tell I us. used to do. Get it out now. This is your chance to apologize. Did you ever apologize to him? I've like talked to him about him. Um, like in like a funny way. Yeah. I used to do this thing. Oh my God. It's so haunting when I think about it. Dylan is four and a half, almost five years younger than me. And he was the cutest, cutest little boy you could ever imagine. Just so sweet. The white blonde hair with a little mullet. Just like, just loved me so much. Loved me so much. Would do anything for me. And I'd be like, Dylan, Dylan, come into the bathroom. Come into the bathroom. And I'd be sitting in the bathtub. I'd be like, Dylan. I'm dying. I'm dying right now. And I would start to like pretend like I was dying and I would sink under the water and do all the bubbles. And he would start screaming and crying and run out of the bathroom to get my parents. And I would pop up every time and be like, Dylan, Dylan, I wasn't actually dying that time. Come back in, come back in. And I would do it again and again. And he would scream, cry every time. But then he'd be like relieved. So maybe he thought it was a cruel, cruel game. Sick and twisted. But isn't that so fucked up? It is. It's not as bad as I was thinking. It's more fucked up than anything Jennifer Connelly does to Toby. I know. Dylan, I'm dying. I'm dying now. I'm dying. (laughs) And I'm sure I did other mean things too. Like, don't look at me. Don't talk to me right now. Things like that for sure. But I love him so much. And in this opening too, the stepmother... Literally tells Jennifer Connelly, like, don't you want to, like, go on a date? You know, she's saying, don't you want to be a teenager? Which, who the fuck, let her do what she wants. I don't think the stepmom is is right. Oh, no, I don't think she's right either. I think it's mostly just telling us that, like, she's at that period where she's, socially, she's she's expected to date. But not yet a woman. Exactly. She's a dork like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's a little bit arrested development. Uh, We get to see her room. We see that basically everything, every character you see, every event that she goes through is depicted in some way in her room. There's dolls of Hoggle and Ludo. You even see uh, Jareth, the Goblin King, has a little statue on her desk. And a bunch of fairy tale books. Yeah. Where the wild things are. Mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland. Clearly a fairy tale fairy girl. fairy tales. Mm-hmm. There's an M.C. Escher painting. Yeah, all the, obviously, to the inspirations of the filmmakers. Exactly. Uh, the Brian Froud in the in the commentary yeah. was like, uh, "I where the fuck is my Yeah, book? he didn't put any of my books in there, yeah. which is kind of rude. Uh, <laughs> all this stuff... You're going to see later on in the movie because it's all just kind of coming from her head. How do y'all feel about the fact that this movie is essentially kind of just like a dream 
film. Or do you interpret it that way? I interpret it that way and it doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me at all. I actually don't have any issues with dream films. Uh, a lot of people do. A lot of people are like, well, <laughs> if none of it's real. Well, I feel that way in a TV show. If they're like, you've been watching this for six seasons. I mean, and they're I, like, oh, everything was a dream. And that's why it all was like it that. It can be done badly, but I think it's but rarely done was, badly. It's set up. They're not tricking us. If you guys were to have a labyrinth of your own in which all the things from your bedroom that you had hung up and, and things were were helping you along a journey of uh, coming of age. Who 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 or what would be in your labyrinth? The band Hanson and Josh Hartnett. They would be guiding you through <laughs> Maxim Magazine, baby. Yeah. yeah, I think mine would be Stone Cold Steve Austin, RoboCop, uh, Sam Jackson from The Negotiator, and probably like Brooke Burke, <laughs> Street Sharks. <laughs> Spawn. <laughs> and Jennifer Connelly from Jennifer the Connelly, Labyrinth. Yeah. We get to meet Toby, her little brother, who she's been tasked to babysit for. Ugliest the night. baby ever. What? Toby is extremely cute. Oh my God, wow. he was so cute. You didn't think he was cute? It looks like Bruce Willis. <laughs> cute. Yeah, Bruce Willis makes a very cute baby. I did think that he's, he's dressed in this kind of like white and red stripy outfit that looks just like the outfit that the baby wears in Dead Alive. Yeah. And that baby turns into a monster. So I couldn't help but think of that. They said that they did that as a reference to uh, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Alice's like stripy stockings. That's the whole reason why they dress a baby like that. So we meet Toby. He is a really cute baby. Sarah <laughs> hates his guts. Rightfully and, so. Um, you, this is the only child coming out for sure this is what you would have been like yeah if you suddenly had like a baby if your parents suddenly had a baby when you were 14 Mm -hmm. so the parents leave and she's got to take care of him he's crying she can't get him to stop she's kind of dancing around saying she wishes some goblins would come take him away and all of a sudden we cut to the goblins and we don't really know where they're They're almost like hilarious i wish i wish say what you shut up listen She's going to say the word. I can bear no longer. Goblin King, Goblin King, wherever you may be, take this child of mine far away from me. Oh, that's not it. Excellent, that rubbish. It doesn't even start with I wish. Did she say it? <laughs> I wish the goblins would come and take him away right now. It's so good. Um, She finally, she puts the baby down. Doesn't seem like she's going to say it. She walks out of the room and she goes, I wish the goblins would come and take you away. Right now. And it does a really cool sound thing here where like the baby is crying and then like literally the second she steps out of the room, just like hard cut, the baby's not crying anymore. It's very eerie. The movie starts becoming a horror movie kind of in this moment too because the lights go out. She goes back into the room Toby is weirdly silent. There's something in the crib moving around, going like. <laughs> she slowly creeps up to it. She pulls the covers off of it. There's nothing there, but you see these like little shadowy figures moving around her. It's good. It's it's child light horror that I think is important for children to see. An owl is like bashing its fucking head against the French doors of the room. It finally flies in and then turns into David Bowie, who is Jareth, the Goblin King. He's looking fresh as hell in this <laughs> Dracula-esque outfit. He's got Tina Turner hair. 
which they said was kind of supposed to resemble like a wolf, but it ended up just kind of making him look more like a rock star. Jareth says, forget about the baby. Sarah, go back to your room. Play with your toys and your costumes. Forget about the baby. I can't. I've brought you a gift. What is it? It's a crystal. Nothing more. But if you turn it this way, look into it. It'll show you your dreams. He does this like a little crystal ball trick, which is fun. He's like juggling these three crystal balls and the fun behind the scenes trivia. Oh, it's so fun. It's not actually his hands and arms doing it. They have a juggler who's like crouched behind him doing all and this And the making work. of is so funny because it just kept failing over and over. And it's like David Bowie standing there and this guy just hunched behind him. Yeah. And you feel so bad for the guy because it keeps failing. He keeps biffing the balls. But David Bowie <laughs> just keeps laughing. Yeah, it's unlike the, the nice. puppeteers all have monitors that they're able to look at and see their work. This guy has had to do his magic trick completely in the dark. And in a unnatural hunched yeah, over he's position. Like, it's but so crazy. it looks fantastic in the movie. They get what they need to do. Do you think uh, if they went for Michael Jackson or Mick Jagger instead, mm-hmm. the movie would still hold up? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, I don't think it would have the, ch- you know, David Bowie has that like charm. Was be- it always written for David Bowie? No. Yeah, it's just Justin's alluding to the fact that they were considering Michael oh, Jackson. Oh, I didn't realize that. They considered Prince. They were considering Sting. I think if Michael Jackson was cast, the movie would have a whole other layer to it that would be kind of hard to stomach today. Oh yeah, it oh, would, for sure. It would it would hurt the mm-hmm. the way the movie ages. Reading um current critiques of labyrinth are also frustrating to me because everybody likes to point out how quote unquote problematic this movie is when it comes to the relationship between david bowie and jennifer uh, Connelly. how awkward and creepy it is that you know he's he's, he's essentially a fantasy of her imagination yes what what people aren't Maybe they're not. I think people realize it, but they don't think it's right. I think what Jim Henson was intending to do is address a very real danger for young people in general, but I think specifically for young women, which is sexual predators as you're coming into adulthood. And to me, that's an important lesson for anybody to learn at any age. We have children's films about kidnapping. We have children's films about killing, eating children. Nobody has any issues with that. But the second you start trying to teach a lesson about you're going to be curious in dangerous men, people are like, this is too awkward. And I think it's lame and ridiculous and probably misogynistic too, because we are in the fantasy of a young girl. And we don't have any issue when we sexualize women for young boys entertainment. But of if we course, sexualize yeah. a man for a movie that's focused on young girls, people are like, this is perverted. They're just ostriches with their heads in the sand, oblivious to the reality. And so it's like when reality, life is so fucked up and so dark. And wh- why do you want to combat that by being ignorant to it? And so we can't reflect the real life Mm-hmm. dangers, situations, problems in our art, and that somehow that is glorifying it, that is that is the real thing, not, not the stuff that it's based on, not the stuff that Jim Henson is talking about, but the fact that Jim Henson is putting this in a motion picture 
is the problem. And he's doing it in a tasteful way. At no point does it ever overtly no. say no. he wants to they marry go, her, have they, sex with her, or anything like that. Ballroom yeah. dance. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, and the movie's not endorsing it. The movie's not saying yeah, we he's love. The bad guy. He's the bad guy. Yeah. And I think kids would watch it and get exactly the right message from it. Yeah. They're like, this man is alluring. I kind of am attracted to him, but clearly, clearly he's dangerous. Yeah. Jack had a little bit of a Bowie vibe when I first met him. Because of my hair. It's part of what it's part of what was alluring about Jack. Wow. So when when he when he was in Because I was also exuding sexuality at that point. Yeah. You had a you had an androgynous quality <laughs> right. in college. Uh, that was back in the days when style for at least our generation was like Men can wear women's jeans and they yeah. Yeah. look pretty good. Well, and like also too, you, you had longer and... you had longer hair. In our acting class, you you played Kevin Barnes, who I did not know at the time, but oh, I was yeah. like, is this a Bowie impression? And well, Kevin Barnes is a Bowie impression. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Barnes is extremely <laughs> yeah. influenced by yeah. Bowie and the Ziggy Stardust stuff. Exactly. So that was my first one of my first introductions. To you, um, so yeah, you have you have a little. Bully. So you think he allured you the way David Bowie? E exactly. I was mm -hmm. your Jennifer Conley, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. seduced me, but no glass balls needed. Mm. <laughs> Is that the castle beyond the Goblin City? Turn back, Sarah. Turn back before it's too late. I can't. Don't you understand that I can't? What a pity. It doesn't look that far. It's further than you think. Time is short. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth before your baby brother becomes one of us forever. Such a pity. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. <laughs> <laughs> Ribs. So she accepts the challenge. She heads on into the labyrinth, and the first person she sees is Hoggle, who is a little man with a huge head who is taking a piss the first time you see him. Yes, not and not the first time you see something taking a piss. No, multiple <laughs> multiple pisses, but you don't get, can you think of any other character introductions where a character is using the bathroom as the first thing you see? No, but I want to do it more yeah. in our work. It kind of makes me think of like Tom Hanks in the Green Mile. Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the introductory oh, scenes yeah. of him is like he's trying oh, to pee, yeah. but he can't. Uh -huh. And then um, it's not the introduction to him, but when Austin Powers gets brought back, from being cryogenically frozen, he mm -hmm. has a he has a great long piss yeah. scene that is just, <laughs> so it's really funny. And by the way, uh, Hoggle is literally a animatronic head on the body of a little person, so it's a combo. There's tons of people involved here. Um, Jim Henson's son, Brian Henson, was the one who did the voice for Hoggle and was part of the team that was controlling the head. Uh, and Sherry Weiser was the body. Was it like four or five people on remote control? On the head, yeah. yeah. They said there was 18 motors in his yeah. head, which I think was maybe a record or something mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, Hoggle immediately says, oh, it's you, as if he knows her. <laughs> she asks him for help and he doesn't want to. I think all the characters that she meets represent some aspect of her. And yeah, he's the little angsty brat who doesn't really want to commit or do anything. He represents her grumpy, non-committal, anti-responsibility side. So she has to go alone. Great force perspective once she gets into the, the labyrinth. It looks like it's endless. So she starts kind of trying to run down it and she mm. realizes it basically is endless. Oh, also tons of amazing matte paintings too. Yes, uh, the, matte, yeah. the matte work in this movie. I mean, everything, every, almost every shot in this movie is a magic trick. And for the most part, it's in camera. 
impractical. Mm -hmm. So then we get the magic dance, which is probably the most iconic song of this film. I would say it's the bop of the film. 100%. You remind me of the babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. You do. Remind me of the babe. A goblin babe. Well. Real baby in this scene, this is definitely a scene where you look at the wide shot and you go, damn, that baby was brave. The baby, Toby, uh, who is Brian Froud's uh, one-year-old baby. Yeah, the concept artist's baby. I looked him up on IMDb because I was thinking, like, this baby is traumatized for the rest of its <laughs> yeah. life. It is just in, the baby doesn't know it's on a movie set. It but just is surrounded sho- by until goblins. Until it goblins. showed the behind the scenes and it yeah. looked so happy. Yeah, I know, he seems but chill. It, when you're watching the movie and you just see I these know, terrifying the puppets, the baby thinks it's in hell. Like it has no clue. <laughs> and it's mommy and daddy are not coming to save it until Henson calls cut. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see that he grew up to be a fabricator. He yeah, was, he got he into was, puppetry and special effects. Um, puppetry oh, is so cool. The Leica Studio movies, like mm-hmm. uh, Paranormal, Paranorman. Stuff like that. Yeah, Paranorman. So <laughs> awesome. he, he found a way into that world. David Bowie is kind of kicking the shit out of these goblins, too. You get the dynamic that he... He's the king. He's a tortured king. He's the king of a bunch of creeps, and he knows it. <laughs> and he's, like, kicking them around and telling them to shut up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Interesting lyrics in this song. Smack that baby and make him free. Hmm. I'm not exactly sure what that's all about, but nope. a lot of the song is kind of gobbledygook, but yeah. boy, is it catchy. It works. Yeah, It really does. Sarah ends up meeting these door guards that kind of look like a what you would see on like a deck of cards where it's like a head on top and a head on bottom. The only way out of here is to try one of these doors. One of them leads to the castle at the center of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to Ba-ba-ba-boom. certain death. Ooh. Which one is which? Uh, we can't tell you. Why not? Uh, we don't know. But they do. Oh, then I'll ask them. Uh, no, you can't ask us. You can only ask one of us. Mm-hmm. It's in the rules. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. That's a rule too. I think one of them is Kevin Clash. And who is Kevin Clash? Elmo. Oh. Did you ever see the Elmo doc? I yeah. did, yeah. Yeah. Being Elmo. That's a magical documentary about the power of puppets and how kids will just, if a puppet is on the hand, they will just see the puppet. They like, even if the adult is sitting directly next to it, mouthing it, it's like a kid's brain will not register the human. It will only register the puppet. I'm going to be honest. I think even adults will do that too. Yeah. Yeah, We've all seen a Jeff Dunham show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) She has to pick a door. Of course, she picks the wrong door. She ends I'm up getting smarter. Plunk. She falls down and she falls into this pit of hands called the helping hands. Incredible. Helping hands are maybe my favorite effect yeah. of the whole film. So insane. In the behind the scenes when you see how many hands there were. Yeah, she falls down this- An actual tunnel. And she gets caught by these hundreds of hands that are sticking out of the wall. And they start talking to her, but they're doing it in like hand puppet style mm-hmm. and it's usually like six to eight hands all kind of like coming together in unison to create these faces with mouths and eyes that sort of blink and have expressions and it's just it's so such a simple idea yet a complicated execution that just looks incredible yeah and the way they show it in the behind the scenes they literally built like this 30 foot tall 
half cut out tunnel where they had tons of puppeteers all sticking their arms through wearing these gloves. Jennifer Connelly is on wires. It's just incredible to look at. And again, you see it and you're like, they would never, they would just never do that today. Mm, nope. She drops into the oubliette, which Hoggle describes as a place that you put people to forget about them. Which is a real thing. Horrifying. In the medieval times, they would throw people into these pits and just forget about them and there's no way out. It's like it's like the prison in Dark Dark Knight. It's Rises. like solitary confinement. Yeah, I'd like to throw Trump into the Uglia. Uh, I could do good, forgetting man. about him. <laughs> you know what? Why don't I throw Biden in there too? Okay. I can't get anything done. <laughs> hey man, hey, hey, get me out of this Uglia, fat. Remember when he called that guy fat? <laughs> Some guy at like a town hall meeting was like kind of challenging him on something, and Biden goes, "Listen, fat." Oh my God! Somebody, somebody asked him about Palestine and and Israel, and he was like, "Yeah, get it." He was in his car. He was like, "Yeah, step in front of my car, and I'll floor it, and then and tell you." Oh my <laughs> <Yeah>. God! <laughs> Insane. This is cool though. Hoggle puts it. He picks a door up off the ground. He puts it against the wall, and then opens it. And at first, it's like a broom closet, and he's like, "Oh, open the wrong side." He closes it, opens it again, and it's all done in one shot. It's all practical. I'm sure it was like a series of false walls and and opening things up from the back. It's just magic trick after magic trick in this movie. And uh, they run into this little goblin that's sitting on the ground. He's kind of like a bum goblin. And he asks for change. And before they can give him change, he stands up and it's Jareth. What are you doing? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing? Tra-la-la? Nothing? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, he harasses Hoggle for helping Sarah. Hoggle, mm -hmm. the coward, is like, I yep. wasn't helping her. Yep. I was tricking her. So Sarah, again, kind of like stands up to Jareth and is like, I'm going to do this, basically. And he's like, okay, you think this is easy? Takes one of his little magic balls, he throws it down the shaft, and all of a sudden this machine that Hoggle calls the cleaner. Mm -hmm. The cleaner! It's kind of like the ball Scary. from Indiana Jones, but it's got all these like blades and spikes on it, and it's spinning around. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that thing in Total Recall. Mm. It's a very yeah. similar machine. Yeah. And Total Recall came after this movie. Mm -hmm. So Total Recall was copying also, Jim Henson. I wonder if J.K. Rowling copied Hogwarts from Hoggle. I thought the same somebody thing. Because somebody called, oh, Jareth yeah. keeps calling him different names right. and one of them is Hogwarts. Yeah, it is. I See, thought the same thing. She's not even that good, folks. No. They escape from it. They meet this guy who's got a bird on his head who is played by uh, Frank Oz. Mm -hmm. It's so stimulating being your hat. Sarah ends up calling Hoggle a friend. He feels kind of uncomfortable by it, but he's also mm. clearly never been called a friend before. They come across uh, Ludo, who is my favorite character in the movie. Oh my gosh, Ludo. of course. He's so cute. Uh, he's being hung upside down and tortured by these little freaks with with like critter spears. Mm -hmm. uh, they save Ludo. He's really scary. Yeah, he's scary seeming, but, but Jennifer Connelly says like, you're not scary at all. You're a big sweetheart. Mm -hmm. You know who Ludo actually reminds me of? Carl from Sling Blade. Mm. You know that um, the rapper Ludacris, when he uh, says Luda, every, he's actually saying Ludo, and it's uh, a reference to Labyrinth. Is that right. true? No. Oh, I was actually like, oh my God, that's so cute. <laughs> uh, and when Ludo howls, he can cause rocks to crumble. Or summon. Or, no, or they or can, can summon, summon them. He, go, he goes, rocks, friend. Friend. Rocks. Sarah. Friend. Uh, they come upon more doors and they start talking to the doors knockers. 
Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I ever saw real door knockers that looked like faces. I had seen this movie first before I ever saw real ones. I remember going to like a rich person's house for dinner one time and they had door knockers on their front door that were faces. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. It's kind of like that M&M's commercial where Santa meets the M&M's and they say, he does exist. And he says, they do exist. And then they all faint. That's kind of the way I was when I saw the door knockers for the first time. They end up getting to this Grimm's fairy tale looking forest. It's very dark and creepy. Ludo falls into a hole, disappears, and we get introduced to the fire gang, the little the, the little fiery guys. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Yeah. We just have to have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Don't got no problems. No problems. Ain't got no suitcase. No suitcase. Ain't got no clothes to worry about. No clothes to worry about. Ain't got no real estate or jewelry. I'll go my baby. No <laughs> I just go in my chair. With a chillin' bunch in the land. In the they land. don't look much. People critique the fiery guys. They're my least favorite. I have to say, I think the fiery guys are cool. They're my least favorite song. Yeah. I think the song is cool. Mm. Chilling down with the fire gang. I think it's a good uh, melody. I'm I'm lukewarm on it, but it's I, don't, I don't hate it. I think the critique that this one gets is that they, the, in order to pull off these puppets, they had to do like a, a, a Bunraku effect where they had the puppeteers all dressed in black and shoot them against a big black curtain so that they could then mat out the background and put in a new one. And the technology was just a little too new at the time. And so you could see matte lines and it's like a little it cruddy look like looking. Green screen. It does. Yeah. But, and I, I heard even Jim Henson was like disappointed with the way it turned out. Yeah. But the actual puppetry of these creatures is so complex yeah. and awe-inspiring to me that it makes up for the like these creatures can take off their heads they can take off their limbs they're juggling their heads around at one point multiple creatures sort of bust into a bunch of different pieces and then become like walking birds and it's all done in one shot and i watch it and i'm like i can't even see how the puppeteers are making this happen so to me it's just as impressive as anything else even though it's kind of got this ugly matte screen effect to it yeah. I think it's cool. One of them takes its eyeballs out. Swallows them. This is probably, I think, the scariest of the puppets because they seem dangerous. And they're chasing her. And yeah, they have this, always gets me good. They have this chaotic energy about them and they keep saying like, we want to take off your head. Yeah. I definitely think there's a scarier sequence in the movie. Mm. Garbage sequence. Garbage? Oh, the garbage oh, sequence is yeah. creepy. That lady. That's true. She kind of has Chucky vibes. Um, meanwhile, Jareth forces Hoggle to, to betray Sarah. He gives him this peach. And he says, make Sarah eat this peach, bitch. They all fall and they end up landing into the bog of eternal stench. Oh, no. Not the bog of eternal stench. <laughs> this was the most relatable to me when um, when Jack Ludo- stinks up the yes! bathroom. <laughs> when Smell Ludo was like, bad. Bad. I was like, this is me every time Jack is fucking I love ripping how farts. long it goes on. The whole scene is constantly. It's just him being like, well, yeah, well, that's literally what I say every morning when I walk into the bathroom after you. Yeah, right. Oh, what? Smell bad. Yeah. Shikori right. just said that you can't just take what yeah, Corey said. Whoever repeated it dealt it. 
<laughs> I like that he does just keep repeating it too. Yeah. Like he just keeps letting you know that he is not yeah. happy to be smelling that. Yeah, smell. there's actual like anuses in the right, bog no. that are farting. <laughs> the water just looks like diarrhea too. Yeah. We saw a bog body when we were in Ireland. And it was crazy. A bog body? Yeah, like a body that had uh. been in a bog. What do you mean a body? A human body? A human yeah. body, yes. And, and it, it had still had its hair. Because of the bog, it's still... Um, it was good for science because it preserved the... Like skin and stuff. And it was hundreds of years old. Like probably, it wasn't just Probably thousands of years old. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an extremely old... And still had hair that had remnants of skin and hair still left on it because the bog that it was buried in preserved it. But they didn't leave it in the bog. They took it out and put it in. Yeah, it's in a museum. They unearthed it from the bog and then used like you know embalming fluid to like. But it looks disgusting. I mean, it looks. It's like really looks like the mummy. This scene was important to me as a kid because it was so fucking funny to me. Like all the farts. I still laughed. I still have. Dude, when Ludo summons the rocks and they yeah. walk across it and it's each time they step on it. The dog is in the scene. So f- before that happens, they get to the, they're like, they're making their way out of the bog and there's a bridge that leads out of the bog. And before they can cross the bridge, this little dog comes out named Sir Didymus. He's hilarious. He's really feisty. He's funny. He's like a civil servant of the <laughs> bog. He does not want anybody to cross the bridge. He keeps trying to fight Ludo, and Ludo's like, bitch, get off of me. Yes, he's very, he's small but mighty. He's very chivalrous, little scrappy little dude. And he's like, I have taken an oath, and I must defend it to the death. Okay, let's handle this thing logically. What exactly have you sworn? I have sworn with my lifeblood. No one shall pass this way without my permission. Well... May we have your permission? Well, I... uh, 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 (sighs) (sighs) Yes? Thank you, noble sir. My lady. This is the voice of Gonzo from the Muppets. Oh, Oh, I love it. I can hear that. Yeah, I can hear hear that that. too. I mean, I'll say Sir Didymus gives me big Henry energy. Yeah. Well, the dog, too. Sir Didymus looks and acts like Henry. Yeah, but Hen- they, both the dog and Henry have like the moppy, mm-hmm. you know, yes. fur. Yes. Know? Which the reason why they chose that, the reason why they cast that dog was because they needed to make a puppet version of it and the long shaggy hair would make it Makes easier a for puppet. them to puppetize it. So cute. And sir, you're talking about Ambrosius. Yes. Ambrosius is Sir Didymus's steed, which yeah. is just a big fluffy, it's Sarah's dog, basically. Yeah, with hilarious intercutting throughout the movie both a puppet and yeah. a, a real dog <laughs> with a puppet on it and just to be clear if she falls into the bog she's going to smell like buttholes and shit mm-hmm. for the rest, for of, the rest her life. of her life yeah you know it kind of reminds me of shawshank redemption mm. that's part of the thing the oh, morgan he crawls through the shit. yeah i think they cut the line but you know in the book morgan freeman was like and andy dufresne smelled like shit forever Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the bog of eternal stench from Jim Henson's The Labyrinth, which would come out twenty years later. Audience, feel free on your uh, skip, Apple Podcast skip. app. There's, there's a uh, seconds. there's a fifteen second skip. <laughs> Go ahead and uh-huh. click that right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
So they make it to the other side and Hoggle decides, oh, they're all going like, I'm hungry. I think even even, even Ludo's like, hungry. Hoggle's like, well, I got this fucking peach here. So he gives it to Sarah. Sarah bites it, immediately knows she's been tricked. Yeah, she's stoned. You? Yeah, she starts hallucinating. What does the peach represent to you? Well, in my mind, the peach represents pussy. Hmm. But apparently in emoji form, it represents ass. And it represents a booty. Yeah. And in Call Me By Your Name, mm-hmm. he fucks a peach. Yeah. So I think it could be up for interpretation. There's something sexual for about sure. it. For sure. I always because just then, think of the face-off scene when Nicolas Cage says, peach. Mm-hmm. I could eat a peach for hours. Yeah. He's talking about butthole. I guess he's talking about ass. Yeah. I always assumed it was- Yeah. It must be sexual because in the next scene is kind of like this- Sexual, romantic, ballroom. Yeah, so she she hallucinates this masquerade ball. And her dress is stunning. It's like a princess fantasy dress to Mm -hmm. wear as a girl. And her her hair and makeup are done in such a way that she looks like an adult. And she's at this party with all these other, there's there's no. She's wearing like a straight up Cinderella dress, not a sexy dress. No, I mean, I don't think it's supposed to be provocative or sexy, but I think it's supposed to be like, this is her fantasy of like an adult party. Yes, absolutely. Because there's not goblins in this scene. They're, they're adult people with masquerading as goblins. All the masks are goblins, but they're humans. The song in this scene, I think is great. It's As the World Falls Down. As yeah. the world falls down. Classic Bowie. Yeah, it's a good song. I actually weirdly wake up in the mornings with this song stuck in my head quite often. Really? Yeah, I'll wake up and I'll get up and I'll go to the bathroom. And as I'm peeing, I will start to sing this to myself. I don't know why. It's almost, I think it's the pee coming out of me makes me want to go like, falls down. And then I'm, I'm like <laughs> making coffee. I'm singing this song. That's what I live with. Justin. You're stuck, Corey. You're stuck. <laughs> Oh this kind of reminds me of Eyes Wide Shut a little bit, but what it reminds me the most of is the masquerade scene in Batman Returns, mm-hmm. when uh, Selena Kyle, Catwoman, and and Bruce Wayne are dancing under the mistletoe, and they talk about how a mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss could be even deadlier. I don't like ballroom scenes in movies. They they give me the creeps. Well, this one's kind of I think intentionally creepy. Yeah, I like them because they always have a good song. Because the song in Batman Returns is good, too. It's a Madonna song. So she's dancing, and then she, what, realizes that time is running out? Yeah, she just starts to kind of realize, like, what am I doing here? I'm fucking... Bowie's uh, tricking her. Yeah. You know? Yeah, she's trying to stall. Also, you start to see glimpses that Bowie might be in love with her. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is one of the scenes that makes people uncomfortable with it, because it's... It is romantic. He's disappointed when she leaves. Mm -hmm. He's treating her like an adult woman. Yeah. Which is a combination of what she wants, what is exciting to her, but also at the same time, it's a dangerous game. So she ends up throwing a chair through a big mirror. It sort of explodes the whole room. People start floating around. She falls back down to earth and she's now in this massive junkyard. And there's this little junkyard woman with all her shit piled up on her back. And this represents... You know, the baggage of life, the the shit that we carry with us, both emotional baggage and physical. The material junk that weighs us down that causes clutter in our life and in our minds. Which is interesting because we are doing a podcast right now about physical media where we are, mm-hmm. we're wrestling with that every episode. Is yeah. this piece of junk worth holding on to or is, is it something we need to rid ourselves of? Well, I, honestly, it's like I, I, we haven't talked about this much on the podcast because we're too busy geeking out over <laughs> physical media, but I struggle 
whenever we have that conversation at the end of the podcast where we talk about giveaway or upgrade, I sometimes struggle to upgrade because I'm like, well, I have a perfectly good copy. Do I really need to buy more plastic and more something that eventually is going to deteriorate and just be landfill? Yeah, I agree. It's not going to let physical media is not going to last forever. You got a printing game you have. Here's a treasure. You'll want that, won't you, my dear? Yes, go on. Put it on. Make yourself up. And here's dear old Flopsy. You'll want her right there you go. Oh, yes. Ah, oh, yes. Charlie Bear. Right there. Charlie Bear for you. Hmm? Huh? It was something I was looking for. Ah, don't talk nonsense. It's all here. You you love Charlie, don't you? Oh yes, this oh, is very yes, nice. You love Charlie. Yeah, 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 you love Charlie. She uh, has scary eyes. She mm, looks a lot very, like Chucky. Yeah. To me, she starts piling all of Sarah's toys and things onto her, telling her, "You're gonna want this. You're gonna want to keep this." Again, this is the labyrinth fooling her. Yeah. Stalling her, and it's making her forget about Toby. And think about all your little childish toys that you love. Sit and play. Oh, it's so creepy. The scene is kind of also about nostalgia, too. I think yeah. this whole movie is. Yeah. And the, uh, the we'll get to it at the ending, but uh, you know, the, I think the most emotional part of it is what this movie has to say about mm -hmm. nostalgia and our relationships to our things. Mm -hmm. She realizes it. She makes a break for it. She meets back up with Ludo and Sir Didymus and Hoggle. And Ambrosius. And they make it to Goblin City. They are basically at the center of the labyrinth and they are faced with this massive door that closes on them and the two sides of the door sort of match up and create this giant robot mechanical puppet that steps out of the door and starts attacking them with an axe. Mm -hmm. This is a really cool. Yeah. Very Apparently, awesome. this was the biggest puppet the they'd ever made. 15 feet. It's like five tons. Yeah. So crazy. This is the scene where Hoggle shows his courage. Hoggle sees an opportunity to jump on this machine, rip the door open, reveal the little goblin inside that's controlling it. Murders him. Mur mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kills the goblin and he destroys this machine and saves the day. And, um, and he has a kind of a stupid line where he says, let's get that rat who calls himself Jerry. <laughs> Very cool, Hoggle. Yeah. He probably doesn't get a lot of opportunities, though, to say cool lines, so that's the best he can do. No. Uh, so then they get into this huge battle in Goblin City. That's pretty let's, fun. Yeah. Well, let's fast forward. Yeah, it's, it's just like- Like you know, all battle scenes, it drags a It kind of reminded me of the long. battle scene in Hook. And then they end up getting to the castle, and Sarah turns to the team and says, I got to do this one alone. And they're like, why? And she says, because- that's the way it's done. Mm -hmm. They all seem kind of sad. They all sad, but they said, should you need us? Ugh, makes me cry. And she's like, if I do, I'll come back and get you. So she goes and, and has her final face off with Jairus. Oh, you turned my world, you precious thing. It's this cool MC Escher room with all these staircases going along the walls, upside down, and Jareth starts kind of following her around. Cool stuff where he's walking upside down and then he'll like take a step off the edge and flip right side up again. You've run so long, you've run so far. Your eyes can be so cruel. Just as I can be so cruel. 
And, you know, Toby is kind of crawling around the staircases as she's trying to get to him. And Sarah ends up having to take a literal leap of faith to get Toby. And she jumps off of this thing. And when she does, kind of transitions into this other world in which Jareth says, I'm kind of getting tired of this shit now. He's like, I'm going to start being cruel. This is where he gaslights her. He's like, I've done literally everything for you. <laughs> everything you told me yeah, to do. I turned over time. I. She starts to remember the lines of the play she was rehearsing. Starting to make a lot of sense right now. Starting to correlate with everything she's gone through. But as usual, she can't remember that last line. And finally, just before he's basically forced himself on her, she remembers the line. You have no power over me. It's such a good mantra for all of us to have, like for your anxiety. You have no power over me. My negative thoughts, you have no power over me. And so this gets her out of the world. She's back home. Jareth is gone. Everything's back to normal. She goes upstairs. Toby's back. Toby's just sleeping in the crib. Sleeping good, dude. He's sleeping hard. I was jealous of him. She goes back to her room and she starts putting her things away. She starts taking the shit off of her desk and putting them up. It is kind of melancholy and it's kind of sad. All of a sudden, Ludo appears in the mirror. Goodbye, Sarah. And remember, fair maiden, should you need us? Yes, should you need us for any reason at all? I need you, Hoggle. You do? I don't know why, but every now and again in my life, for no reason at all. I need you. All of you. <laughs> you do? Well, why did you say so? And she turns around and they're all there. And they fucking party and I'm getting emotional. I know. I was like, I was, I was wondering if that's what was happening. Yeah, I think the movie is, is saying it's, we, we do have relationships with our things, our possessions, and we can't be beholden to them. We can't let them hold us back from our responsibilities and becoming adults, but they are a part of us, and we can hold on to them for when we need them mm-hmm. as emotional support. Yeah. To me, a more powerful interpretation is not putting value on the things, but more so value on... The relationship. Relationship and childhood. That, like, as adults, as we transition into adulthood, mm-hmm. we can never lose that part of ourselves that was fantastical, that that did have a big imagination, that was, you know, playing, role-playing like she was role-playing in the beginning of the yeah. movie. You know, like, we so often go into adulthood and we lose everything that that makes us, you know, every aspect of our childhood. Yeah, you think, lose all your dreams and yeah. your fantasies and mm-hmm. you just start living in the real world and being yeah. pragmatic and realistic and you a part of your soul dies a little bit. The movie is saying, be like Jim Henson. Grow up, be an adult, work, but maintain that playful spirit. Yeah, never forget your childhood dreams mm-hmm. and the things that make you who you are. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have our final thoughts on the labyrinth. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back, folks, to Cinema Possessed, and uh, we're all going to talk about our final thoughts on The Labyrinth. Corey, I'm going to start with you. I absolutely loved it. I thought, when we have children, I want to show this movie to them. Mm -hmm. I don't have as much nostalgia as you guys do to it, but it did not even matter. Some of the times that when that happens and you show me movies, (laughs) I'm like, "Mm, you like this because you liked it when you were nine. Um, Not this one. This one's so sweet. It's so beautiful. It's truly magical that all of the things that you're seeing was made with somebody's hands. It's like uh, the behind the scenes. We keep talking about it, but please go watch some of these. You will love them. It will be so joyful. It will inspire you. The movie's great. The puppetry is what's really magical about mm-hmm. it for me. Love it. A plus plus plus. Justin, final thoughts. And what are you going to do with that DVD? <sighs> I love the movie more than anything. <laughs> I think it is so much more than a film. It doesn't even really feel like I don't, I don't experience it the way I do a movie. I experience it as a part of my childhood, as nostalgia as a transcendent experience the few times that something becomes so much more than a movie and becomes a phenomenon (laughs) i can't believe it exists i can't believe it has bowie i can't believe it has a a, incredible musical score i mean this movie's a musical i don't normally like musicals right but this is fantastic it's the best of live action it's the best of of Dark Crystal. It's the best of animation all rolled into one. And um, it's still, as an as a 35-year-old adult, it still has lessons to teach you. I can't wait to show this to my my kids. I can't wait to bring some of this magic into our work and never forget 
that as we go through life, we need to hold on to that part of our childhood. We need to bring this magic into our work, into everything we do, whether we're filmmakers or artists or construction workers or whatever. Find a way to bring magic and creativity and play into everything you do. I think this movie is a Bible. It's a religion. It's spiritual. <laughs> I'm definitely going to upgrade the movie. Me. I wasn't happy with the quality of the DVD. I highly recommend the Digibook. Yeah, Digibook looks nice. It's a good quality way to have it, unless you want the 4K, which maybe they make a 4K version of it now, too. They do, and it's $120 on oh, eBay. Get the hell out Jesus. Of Is it out of print? That's why? Yeah. Well, I agree. I think this movie's fantastic. The critics were dead wrong, and you know what? The movie has since gone on to have such a cult life beyond. I think this movie is just widely appreciated now, and it's because the kids... The kids who it was made for embraced it. They grew up to appreciate it. They appreciate it when they were young. And like you said, I think the ending of this movie leaves you as an adult with just as much meaning and thought-provoking takeaways. I watched this movie, and I, I do think don't let go of your childhood dreams and appreciate the possessions that led you here. You know, And I think as a kid, you can watch this movie and see the end of it and say, you know what? I will have to grow up one day, and I do need to take that seriously, but it's okay to be a kid right now. Um, and I'm going to keep this digibook because it's, I had no issues with it whatsoever. It's the most, it's fantastic. I did want to say one thing that's interesting about the movie to me is that opening scene, that tracking shot that shows you all the inspirations of the movie, the different fairy tales and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And in the process, this movie becomes part of the canon of great literary fairy tales, but yeah. maybe the first, for me, the first feature film movie, mm. screenplay mm -hmm. movie, that becomes its own living legend fairy tale. Just as great as Alice in Wonderland and all the other literary classics. Yeah, I see that. It's cool. Very cool. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about the labyrinth, what do you say we play the puppet quiz. Jack is looking at us waiting for a reaction. Uh, I don't know. He wants us to like laugh or something or like. This is not multiple choice. You just have to know the answers. Speed through it. Question number one. The Muppet movie of 1979 was the first of eight movies in the Muppets franchise. Name three of the other seven. A Muppet Christmas story. A Muppet Christmas. Carol. Carol. Muppets take Manhattan. Two. Name one more Muppet movie. Um, the Muppets with Jason Sudeikis. Ooh, that is a Muppets. It's not Jason Sudeikis. Oh, it's Jason, uh, Jason Siegel. All right. And what's it called? The Muppets. That's three. I hate that you can do that, but that is that is three. Well, name them out for us. There's the Great Muppet Caper. You said Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh, Treasure Island. Muppets Treasure Island. Muppets Treasure Island, which is my favorite Muppet movie. Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppets from Space, The Muppets, Jason Siegel, and Muppets Most Wanted. Oh, Muppets in the Hood. Yeah. <laughs> Where the Muppets meet Leprechaun. Yeah. Corey got that one. Because Corey said We're on the same we're on the same team. But Corey gets the point. Okay. Question number two. We're the same. In which 1990 American horror comedy would you find puppet characters named Mohawk, Daffy, George, and Lenny? 
horror film? 1990 American horror comedy film. Gremlins. Two. There you go. The new batch. <laughs> Points for Justin. That's even tie game. One to one. Question number three. This 2004 puppet comedy film came into conflict during production with the board of censors due to an explicit sex scene. Oh, the, what was the, the one? Team America? World Police. Two points for Corey, one point for Justin. Question number four. For sharing, it's fine. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins plays a ventriloquist at the mercy of his vicious dummy in the 1978 psychological horror movie titled... No clue. Anthony Hopkins? It's Anthony the, Hopkins. It's on the tip of my felt tongue. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It is one word, and it's not a name. We said the word multiple times in this episode. Magical. Magic. Points for Corey. Wow. Magic with Anthony Hopkins. Never heard of it. So that's three points for Corey? Pretty incredible. One point for Justin. You got to catch up. Question number five. This 1999 fantasy film concerns a puppeteer who discovers a hidden door which leads inside the mind of an actor. Justin being, being John, John Malkovich. Two points for Justin. Three points for Corey. Question number six. This 1989 comedy is about two men who turn their deceased boss into a puppet to avoid being accused of his Justin murder. Justin Weekend at Bernie's. All right, it's a tie game. Final question. This American horror film series focuses on a group of anthropomorphic puppets animated by an Egyptian spell who each are equipped with their own unique and dangerous device. American horror film franchise. Justin Puppet Master? Justin wins the puppet quiz. Yay! Corey and Justin win. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. That, my friends, is the show. Hey, we're kind of like like I'm Sarah. Mm -hmm. One of you is Ludo, and one of you Hoggle is Hoggle, and Henry is Sir Didymus. Yeah, Jack is the biggest, so he's Ludo. You're Ludo, and you're happy Hall, to be you're, my favorite you're character. You're sometimes like you and me are like kind of grumpy sometimes, and mm -hmm. then we but then we always have the heart but of then gold. Then we're sweet. Yeah. yeah. Sweet oh my God, and it's sour. Perfect. AKA bipolar disorder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, well, you should head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. That's our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, You'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. You can get them anywhere, guys, and you can leave reviews anywhere. They help spread the word, get other people to subscribe. It's important. It means something, and we love you for it. Justin, what movie are we talking about next week? Next week, we're talking about 1972's Deliverance, directed by John Borman. A true horror film. Oh, it's going to be good, folks. You're going to want to tune in. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Later. Bye. Bad podcast. You remind me of the bye. Bye. <laughs>